You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. You guys, are we sure this isn't some kind of Stockholm Syndrome situation? Or I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Cass Morris. And this is episode 60, World Building, The Never-Ending Story. Welcome back, listeners, and we are excited to bring you another craft-filled episode of World Building for Masochists. Um, Before we launch in, I think that we owe someone a happy birthday. Cass has a birthday coming up, even though we know time is meaningless here in 2021. (laughs) But another year has has passed. You've gone around the sun one more time. So happy birthday, Cass. Thanks. And more importantly, uh, by the time this comes out, the paperback of Giveaway Tonight will, at least in theory, publishing supply chain <laughs> notwithstanding, uh, have come out the day before this episode. So give me a happy birthday, belatedly, and buy books. <laughs> Lots of books. Please buy, buy books. books. Please buy, buy my books, books, buy other people's books, pre-order books, buy books off the backlist that are sitting lonely on the shelf, buy lots of books. Books can keep you company right now. All the books. They won't give you COVID. It's like the one thing, reading. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Reading, it's it's perfectly safe. You can wear a mask while you do it if you want to, but that's just for funsies. And speaking of books, we're now a little bit closer to the release date of An Unintended Voyage, which is my next World of Meridane, but not in Meridane book. It's got a new multicultural city it's got a young working class woman navigating language culture and debt in an unknown place armed with just a whistle and it's filled with found family and a dangerous cult and magic and science and faith intertwining and a giant library so if that doesn't get you i don't know what will i mean a whistle's more than the student loan people gave me to face debt with so <laughs> true <laughs> just step ahead step ahead of the game there the world of Meridane makes it sound like you should be an Epcot or something. I want a Meridane Epcot now. Oh, man. Can I have a yeah. Epcot? Is there like someone, I, you is there someone Epcot that we can now? write to about that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. That would be so wild. Like, I, We really should just have more fantasy world theme parks because that is like all we've got right now is like the Harry Potter one and is there a Lord of the Rings one there's, somewhere? Has somebody I, done there's that the, one? The little yet? Hobbit village is left in New Zealand but yeah, it's, it's, but it's not, not so like much a theme park as like a, a set a that is that still looks, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think that there are any rides or attractions associated with it. The problem is so many fantasy worlds it's like I'm not sure I'd want a vacation there. You know Westeros? Mm, hard pass. <laughs> no thank you. But Meridane, I'd go to Meridane. I feel like I could steer clear of the insane shit. Like, yeah, I mean, like a good like Frommer's Guide to Meridane, and you can avoid all of the stuff that you would want to avoid as don't a tourist. Don't go to Parliament. You don't need to see that building. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good's gonna happen to you there. So just steer clear. There are all sorts of you know things you didn't even realize were author goals until somebody else is like, shouldn't there be a theme park based in your books? Like, yes, there should. That that would that would be great. I will settle for the Netflix show, but if we can get to that <laughs> level, that'd be awesome. That's all we want. 
want. We just want a Netflix show based on our work. Humble, <laughs> humble needs that we have. Humble needs. The humble needs that we have. You could always just get that old game. What was it like, Roller Coaster Tycoon or something, and just design there you, yeah. the modern world with that. There you go. And what else? By the time this airs, Armadillo Con will be shortly. And as of this recording, it's still happening in person. But who knows what will happen in the next five weeks or so. So that's an exciting game of roulette we'll be playing there. But right now it's still happening and I'm still scheduled to be the special guest for that one. And in theory, are you still appearing somewhere soon, Cass, or no? Yes, in theory, a few weeks from when this comes out, I will be at Sirens Conference in Denver, Colorado. And yeah, in theory, that's still happening. And then in theory, a few months after that, we'll be in D.C. We will we'll all, all be, be in D.C. D.C. We'll all be in D.C. This will be, listeners, an historic moment in that we will all be in the same room at the same time, which is a thing that has, to date, never happened, which is an amazing thing about the fact that this podcast exists of three people who've never been breathing the same air ever. I don't want to think about breathing air with people. Yeah, we, probably, we that was probably the worst choice. That was probably the worst choice of phrases. It really to was, use, man. But, yeah. yeah. Things we can never go back to. Some... Like mm. innocently <laughs> breathing one another's air without a care in the world. <laughs> Remember how cavalier we used to be about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, you could just be in a room and breathe somebody's air, and then never again. But the world keeps on changing. Speaking, Speaking of, of worlds keeping on changing and evolving <laughs> and events changing your world, world building, it never really stops, does it? As, as three people who have written more than one book each and have been world building those those worlds you're never quite done are you i remember at least one of my film professors at school said our art is never finished merely abandoned and i think world building is kind of the same it's like because you're never going to be done but there will reach a point where you just don't do it anymore with <laughs> a particular world <laughs> there will reach a point where you're like uh, I, I i've I've done all that I'm going to do, <laughs> not all that could be done, because you can always just keep going to absurd degrees. See, putting it that way... Is, do you want to? Putting it that way makes me sad, like I'm abandoning the Velveteen Rabbit or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> Bum me out about having to move on to new projects, like, geez. But, but you loved it, and it became real, Cass. That's true, that's true. Yeah. But no, because I think there's like, there's the element of, you know, if you do world building in your pre-writing stage, there's a point at which you have to stop doing that and actually write the thing or do the thing if you are going to write or do the thing. But then as you're writing or doing the thing, you discover the spaces that, oh, there's perhaps more world building to be done, or you are struck by the shiny idea fairy and suddenly you're you're back looking at your world building structure and bones again with i don't know fresh new eyes or trepidation and rage it depends it depends especially if there is a 
long process of world building or when you started it and when you actually came back to write it or such has years or dare we say decades in between like you're going to be i mean the initial work of the maritime stuff was first like the first map i drew in 1993 and i was you know 20 and stupid (laughs) and so a lot of like the choices i made back then were probably really bad choices and as i've you know gotten older and more mature and more aware of like real things in the world i've had i've made adjustments to that to you know fix my stupid ideas of my youth and and i'm still doing that i will still come across things i'm like i wrote oh i wrote that 15 years ago oh oh no no (laughs) that that's a bad idea let's change that that's that that was bad that was that was very colonialist to me. That was very <laughs> well. And Marshall, because you are a set up your sandbox and then put your action figures in it sort of writer, whereas Cass and right. I are a little bit more co-development of the world and other things. So there's there's less, at least for me, of a okay. I am finished with the world building stage now. Time to do the writing stage. They're kind of happening in tandem with each other to some degree, especially in the early drafting process. But still, you get like into your second draft of something and suddenly you still have holes you need to fill or concepts that you're like, oh, wait, should should I should I do that instead? Like it doesn't stop just because you have put a pin in the formal world building process. Yeah, the, the one I think about that with a lot is the space opera I mentioned I think in the last episode where it's like I'm trying to have too many ideas simultaneously and I think part of it is that I have spent too long sort of trying to establish not just the world but like figuring out what the plot's going to be rather than just starting to dive in and and really write it a lot and I just keep wanting to graft other ideas on and I I need to stop that (laughs) it's becoming a Franken idea it's like yeah sort of is got like an extra limb hanging out there (laughs) Yeah, the the space opera one that I was working on, it it that's exactly the same problem I kept having. It's like, it sort of started with a, you know, Star Trek with the serial numbers filed off sort of feel to it, and then I grafted on a Babylon Five with the serial numbers filed off on it, and then a Farscape with the file <laughs> serial numbers filed off on it, and sort of just mushed that all together into like one thing. But those different things were like we do not play well together marshall why are you trying to force us to be in the same world and and so that's been at least part of the problem <laughs> with that one though i i'm reminded there was a thing who was it? somebody on twitter just the other day tweeted a thing i think it was i think it was rebecca kwong who tweeted about like that you know the process of writing a book that by the time you're promoting the book like you are such a different person from the person who wrote that book and can't be the person who wrote that book anymore because you've grown and moved on and such that that it's almost impossible to get into that mindset again to understand what it was where you wrote that book and so i think the same process can certainly be affected world building that that world building work you do early by the time you're 
like on book three or whatever of whatever you're writing you're like then you're like these were stupid <laughs> ideas that i had and how dare i and and now that i've done them i'm stuck on this in book three because i did a stupid you know seven years ago when i first wrote things in a, in a spiral well, like even if they were good ideas like it was seven years ago and the world that we actually inhabit has changed and has thrown yeah. <laughs> you know new concepts and new ideas and new challenges that like inspire what you want to actually do in a second world that you're creating and oh oh wait i already wrote myself into like 2015 rowena and and she she was oh she was young and innocent and so pretty oh <laughs> so young and naive we were and just look back at your past self like oh sweet summer child yes just yes, yes. And, well and just what you wanted to talk about at a particular point can yeah. change and it can still be a very worthwhile thing to talk about but can feel less pressing or like you're hitting less of what you would want to talk about now if you're making those decisions i um I, a local arts magazine wanted to interview me um and asked about like so your process for writing torn and i was like you have to understand that i wrote the first draft of that book like in 2015 2016 and that was a different time <laughs> like I barely remember who I was then, and many of the decisions that I made, I probably would make differently now, not because they were wrong or bad, but because... <laughs> I'm a different person now. <laughs> Flail? <laughs> I think you also get like, you know, sometimes we talk about a project not being ready yet and needing time to steep, but I think there's also a danger in that if an idea steeps for too long, it's like, oh wait, I've already thought about this idea. And now I'm bored. I don't want to actually write it. I just, yeah. I thought about it for a really long time. And so my brain feels like I've done that work. I'm done. And it's like, no, but you didn't actually write the book. And brain's eh. like, eh. Well, and, and it's and it's fair that not all ideas are, are book worthy. And some of them are like, like, maybe this is a short story at best. And maybe this is like, you know, poke at a book and it doesn't quite get there. And, and some are just good, like mental bubble gum of like, this is my like fun to think about not gonna do anything with it i think i need to work on recognizing when those are like oh no this is this is not a book this is like maybe this is just an rpg campaign or this is just a thought experiment that i should just just leave there yeah um, <laughs> as a thought experiment and not not bother with it anymore and it is hard to, to recognize sometimes what the difference is between the two or if like, or if the problem is the world building here needs more work for me to be able to understand what this is supposed to be, or is doing more world building on this just putting a hat on another hat and we, we're just wasting time. <laughs> so mid-drafting world building moments, um, in thinking about this, I felt like there were like three kinds that stood out to me, which were the, oh crap, I need to answer this question because it's come up now and I have to figure something out. The, ooh, shiny, a new idea. And the, oh shit, I did not think this through. Like those are the three that kind of stood out to me. <laughs> Usually I don't get too much hit with the ooh, shiny mid book. Like, cause usually any ooh, shiny that hits me while 
midway through the drafting process is for something completely different that's going to draw me away from the thing that you know has a deadline and so rarely is it like a thing of like a thing to be woven into whatever i'm currently working so what do you what do you do Um, though if you have a new shiny for a project that you're working on like like how do you figure out is this something that i can wedge in here like when is it a good enough idea to try if you've already if you've already published something to what degree are you backed into a corner already but even without that when is it worth the work like what if i just added spaceships to this like no you can't do that because you've already tipped over all of these other dominoes and they've already all fallen this way and you can't shove the dinosaur in the middle of the dominoes sorry i'm sorry i'm laughing because i'm picturing it I'm, i'm picturing the, the dinosaur <laughs> maybe i'm trying no but like okay so like back away from the dinosaurs i had this happen fairly recently with the third book in the oven cycle and I, I had this giant shiny new idea that was gonna derail everything no it just has to sit its ass down because i <laughs> was in the third act of this the third book that that i'm contracted for and I'd already been trying to finish it for months. And it was just like, no, you, you may not graft on this entire other huge concept and plot arc right now. No, there's, there's no room for allowance. You simply can't. And I think sometimes that is the answer is just you have to tell the idea to sit its ass down. It's just there's no room for you here. Maybe there's room for you in another project, but no. To an extent, if we're talking about like on the larger picture of like like my outline for everything Meridane, an unintended voyage was exactly that in that while I was writing parliament, I got this big shiny idea of like, what if I just stuck Corey on a boat to nowhere? What would happen? And then that happened. And then I did that in parliament. And then that happened. And then I'm like, and now here's this whole other book that was never part of like my original plan that I'm like, but I'm like, Ooh, so that whole book was just this big, ooh, shiny idea that got shoved into the larger arc of things. Yeah, and I think sometimes, too, you know, especially if you're talking world building, if you have a world that is bigger than just one corner of it that you're writing in, there may be another place in that world where that fits or can work or the, you know, the dinosaur might actually work on the island that no one has explored yet. And there are dinosaurs there. You maybe, but it's it's not going to work smack dab in the middle of your 17th century modeled European city that didn't have dinosaurs. And suddenly you're trying to cram a T-Rex in the stables down the road that's not built for it. They don't like that. Does not make does not make the T-Rex happy to be shoved somewhere that it doesn't want to be. Though that does make me think about just how both the DC and Marvel Comics universes evolved because the world building for both of those, it was this incredible slapdash, all 100% yes and, yes and, yes and process where it's like, we're going to write a thing about this kid who got bit by a spider. All right. We're also going to write about this, this family who launched a spaceship and things went wacky and now they got powers. All right. And we're going to do some other stuff. How do they have powers? I'm tired of thinking up reasons why people have powers. So some people are just born with it. <laughs> well, you know, I think you can, you can have a world where things are built to be loosey goosey or undiscovered. 
and you can get away with more. Right. It's when you set up the rules for yourselves to begin with, and then you're like, oh, fuck, I have rules. Well, and it, it's, it's sort of the problem that the MCU is currently facing with trying to graft mutants in. And it's kind of been a problem in the comic books, but it's been lampshaded there, which is the like, okay, if, if there are mutants in this world, either they've been a secret the whole time and they're going to get revealed, or we've known about them and just no one's mentioned them in all these movies and what's been going on. Like, where have they been? Why haven't we been, been working with them? And, and all that stuff. And in the comic books, the conflict is often why don't our other heroes in this universe do anything to help when the mutants are getting the crap kicked out of them? <laughs> like, that's the world-building problem they created for themselves in meshing all of these concepts into one universe. It created different world-building conundrums that they sometimes semi-solve, sort of. I, I, I've always found it deeply amusing that in the Marvel Universe with, like, the X-Men, it's like, you were born with your powers, so you're terrifying, and we hate you. In the Fantastic Four, it's like, you stole a spaceship and <laughs> crashed, and it was a disaster, and that gave you your powers, so clearly, you guys are the heroes. <laughs> well, you know, not to turn this into an X-Men podcast, because that's my agent's territory, but um, the, the idea <laughs> behind that is that, like, the mutant idea is scary because that could be anybody or it could be anybody's kid. It could happen to your kid and very few of our children are going to crash a spaceship. Probably. But, you know, you never know. Yeah, the idea you never of, know. You never know. That you were born with it is scarier than you did. You created a terrible accident that was your own fault, <laughs> but now you have powers. You've been blasted by gamma rays. You've been, yeah. But that's okay. The more your own fault it is, the more we like you. <laughs> America. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, you know, the bright new shiny idea, it it can work. Sometimes you can make it wedge in, but sometimes it creates weird conundrums that make people question you on their podcasts. <laughs> right. But th those are good examples of where the world building is constantly in process and constantly on the fly and constantly being reimagined. And even to the point where they're like, okay, we've we've made this thing too big, especially in the DC side where they're like, we've made this thing too big and it doesn't make any sense anymore. So we're going to, we're going to break the glass and hit the big red button. Except somebody's like, Ooh, but I, I like this, other, this one bit that I did. Can we keep that? Or like, Oh, right, fine, we'll keep that one bit. All right. That's kind of screws up everything else. We wanted to reboot, but fine, we'll keep it. <laughs> I think that's sort of baked into the genre. Like comic books yeah. have an expectation of either the reboot in DC or the, frequent retconning and sliding timescale that you get in Marvel. Uh, whereas novelists typically don't have that kind of flexibility. Like when something's retconned, it tends to be a bigger deal, I feel like, in, in novels than in a more fluid canonical genre. Well, and I think we... More canonically we, fluid genre is probably how I should have said that. And we usually put our worlds to bed well before this level of evolution and and change and continuation is going to happen. Marshall being the exception who just it's like the energizer <laughs> bunny of of Meridane. But even even then, you know, 12 books, 13 going on, you know, compared to decades of either either of Marvel or DC, you know, it's it's a little different still. Certainly if you're just writing just a trilogy or just a standalone, you have a lot more freedom of being like you know, oh, I got this shiny idea midway through, I can just wedge it in there, or it's not, it's less likely to be a world-breaking thing that then 
ruins the whole plot or what have you, or that you can't integrate. In well, you can decide way. at that point, this is actually what my book is going to be right. about, because I haven't published something that right. is going to <laughs> stand in the way of doing that. But it can certainly still be a lot of work to be like, and I have to dismantle my entire first act now because it doesn't work with this shiny thing that I through in the middle of my draft like a bomb to blow everything up <laughs> so i think it's still a, it's like a craft Unless, question of of, is it worth it you know is it something you're willing to dismantle your work that you've done so far and sometimes it is yeah though i think a lot about how uh on the the battlestar galactica reboot if you watch that one i i it is my deeply held belief that somewhere near the end of season two the writers got a brilliant idea for this new shiny thing that they wanted to do that was not supported by anything they had already done and just went, fuck it, we're going that, we're going to go and do that instead and just hammer that into what they were doing and went from there with, with, with that concept. And it just made it into a different show altogether <laughs> from, from what it was. <laughs> so what about you're writing along and you have... <laughs> either neglected to or chosen not to get super detailed about a particular bit of world building and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have to solve this problem. Am I the only one that this happens to, especially involving things with math? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. My, my constant example of things like this is when I was with my first editor, Sarah Guan, former, former guest of the podcast, and she asked me how many mages there were in Avon. And I realized I hadn't done the math. I had a vague sense, but I hadn't done the math. And so then I did the math. And that's why there's now a spreadsheet of the 330-odd <laughs> mages <laughs> broken out by <laughs> element and, and their jobs and their class. Because like she wanted to know how it affected the socioeconomic structure. And I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> I have a vague sense of these things, but I hadn't really worked it out. And she asked the question and then I had to. And it was like, okay, well, here's a treatise you didn't know you needed on this entire topic. And yeah, that was that was a big one for me was like how the, the numbers of the magic and, and how that affected the socioeconomic strata in my world. I had not thought out in advance. I was, it was vague, but I hadn't given it the detail. And then I had to and it overwhelmed my life. <laughs> In terms of doing the math, I, I've talked about this a little before, but I was writing a novella with Vader and Giarna, and I had a scene where they were just like out in a field looking at the sky, and Giarna was commenting on which planet was in which constellation. And then I was like, wait, I need to know <laughs> which planet is in which constellation. And I need to, it needs to be right in the sense of minute spoilers much further than the line exact like things of what planets are in which constellation is actually going to be a plot point for things further down the line so i'm like okay i guess i'm doing the whole night sky spreadsheet now to like figure out what's in the sky where when <laughs> and i literally just like i couldn't have just been like you know brackets like no because i'm a fool <laughs> And I like had to like do the spreadsheet and do the math and then be like, okay, that's what she sees in the night sky on that night from that so, spot. So okay, you were literally like, type, type, and, type. Oh crap! Pivot. Yeah. I have to invent have astronomy. To invent like, astronomy for my culture. I have to now. invent okay. astronomy. And not no no more type, type, type until you had done that. Like you couldn't. Exactly. 
there was there was no there was no put a placeholder and move on it was no because my brain was like i I tried to and my brain was like no you don't know what it is do you you have no idea you fool you you idiot you don't even know who do you think you are you think you can keep writing that scene when you don't even know what kind of amateur fool are you did your brain make you make one of the star maps where you you know move the circle around and it shows you the (laughs) the window of the night sky my brain most of the time accepts that i don't have that artistic skill (laughs) most of the time (laughs) i'm gonna start giving it ideas then yeah try to (laughs) so it it accepted the spreadsheet as an acceptable answer (laughs) so i was gonna say i feel like often the like here's a piece of advice that people, you know, give to writing new writers is like, don't get hung up on stuff. Just put a placeholder and keep going. Don't want to break your flow or your rhythm, you know, just get those words out. And it's like, well, not always. Sometimes you have to come to a grinding halt to answer questions involving <laughs> math. <laughs> I am amazed by the people who can do that of like things that are cultural or whatever. Like, it's like, oh, this is a person is a member of this warrior order and just puts in brackets warrior order and just keeps going. It's like, <laughs> but what? <laughs> but what? Who's the war? Like, there there needs to be a deep history of this order and who they've been, what they do and why, <laughs> where have they been for the past, you know, 900 years? And what what does that mean? Like, and I, I did. I did have to do that with Way of the Shield, too, because I had this vague sense of like, they're just being more orders that had since disbanded or something and i had reached the scene in the museum where there's like and here is just like a display of all the different orders and then i'm like oh fuck no i i have to just stop and really work out exactly who what these orders were and why they're not around anymore and 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 figure all that out again so welcome to my brain you're now inside of it (laughs) I feel like I am usually able to placeholder stuff, but it's often only because like I know that once I start on like the research train, like unless it's a quick Google, like I can be like, oh, well, what do you call that? Or like, so could you have this kind of plant in that? Yes, you could. All right. Moving on. Is this poisonous? No. Good. Okay. You know, like that I can I can break and do. But if it involves a lot of like, I know that I am going to end up like, on the train and we're leaving the station and produce an interlibrary loan is in my future. <laughs> and so it needs to just be a separate thing. Like even if I'm in the middle of writing a draft, it's not it's not pre-research anymore. It's middle of middle of the trenches research. Like I'm gonna have to just the pin is gonna have to go in that question and come back to it later because it could get intense. I hit one of those when I realized that I didn't actually have a strong enough sense of how Roman field fortresses would be built like I knew about the camps but if they're digging in for the winter it's like okay what materials is that going to be how high are those walls and they were actually pertinent questions to how the characters were going to be operating within that camp and it was like ah hell (laughs) I guess I have to go find some military history things now I was trying to avoid that sigh hello world cat my friend (laughs) Mm -hmm. JSTOR, where are you? Yes. This is this is why writers get gigs at colleges so that we have free JSTOR access. I know. I was I was without it for like a year and a half and it was terrible. It's rough. I didn't have access. 
I didn't even have the OED. I couldn't even look up the full etymology of my words. It was it was dark time. It's no way to live. No, no. (laughs) So what about and maybe maybe esteemed writers such as yourself have never had this happen, but you're midway through drafting and it's not like an oh I put this off. It's like an oh shit I did not think this through. This is not going to work. I didn't. I mean, like I I don't think I've had any huge problems along those scales my my biggest things that I ran into problems with was realizing that like my plots were not moving at the same speed because the speed at which people can move around inside a city is very different than the speed at which they can move across the Iberian <laughs> Peninsula without roads and it Who was knew? like ah oh, hell I didn't I didn't think that out but that wasn't quite a world building problem I it's, think my it's biggest world building, world building adjacent because it, it's, yeah. it's like, it's the, it's the math. It's the damn math of world building <laughs> comes back around but every my other, time. My other bigger problem is always like having started with too many ideas. And like, I can look at my old Ovin cycle files and there's things of the analog to the Ptolemaic dynasty, the Menophon dynasty that I created. That it's like, here's all this material. I have nothing to do with it. Here's information <laughs> on Tenic magic, on, on the, the sort of Celt adjacent magic didn't have a place to put that tried to wedge it in someplace just to make a quick little to show you look I thought about this but uh no no doesn't fit that's that's where I tend to run into the I didn't think this through problem is trying to shoehorn in ideas that I had early on and then they became plot irrelevant and there's just nowhere for them to shine oh I have so much of that because there is so much to the world of Meriden that I'm just like I started you know the trunked novel that is the i'm just going to show you the whole world with no plot sort of novel and is it shining I shimmering splendid it is of course it is and it's sitting in a trunk and it will you know never see the light of day but like the 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 i always have that sort of temptation of like i could just you know do a thing from this over here i'm like mm, I, don't know. I will allude to the fact that the rest of the world exists but i don't need to like like let's just stop and i can explain to you about the history of this culture on the other side of the world for no reason other than i feel like explaining it to you and you know i've reached the point where nobody's stopping me in the editing process well the thing about that is we talked several weeks ago about like changing (laughs) standards in the genre like victor hugo would be all about that he'd be like hell yeah give me a 20 page digression right in the middle of this conversation (laughs) give me the whole history of that object he's holding and how it came to be in between the speech prefix and him actually talking. Just give me all that. That's a, it's a time has passed. and Should, Shouldn't we take 50 pages to talk about Russian farm equipment at I this really point? I really think we should. I think we should. It's important. But yeah, I, 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 I do often just curb myself in terms of that, of like not being like, you know, this, I don't need to like drag in just a thing from the other side of the world just, just for the sake of me showing off the shiny <laughs> and... and I've as tempting as it can as it can be sometimes it's a lot easier to just be like "Mm, okay we're we're moving on I think that one that I've um dealt with is you know when you are writing multiple books in a series you realize that things are going to go places in later books that you may not have expected them to go when you were first kind of developing and even writing descriptions of you know the, the the stuff in your world and so in order for it to makes sense by the time that you get there like you kind of want to seed it a little earlier so one that I was thinking of was like in my head the capital city 
in the Unraveled Kingdom is is kind of like Quebec City in that it's it's up on a bluff over a river and it's it's walled. So like this is in my head and it was like referenced lightly a couple times, but not really like explained or given a whole lot of detail. And by book three, this becomes important that it's up on a bluff and it's walled. (laughs) And this is like an important thing that feeds into the plot. So I'm realizing it's going to go that way. And I'm like, okay, so in book two, I need to find a place to describe the damn city, like from a perspective that it like establishes this. So I'm not just throwing it in later. Like, oh, that's convenient. Sure. Sure. It was a walled city all along, huh? Like, no, but it was. It really was. <laughs> One of the things that I've been doing in Meriden that I wonder if it reads like, I'm just throwing more things in there, like everything in the kitchen sink, you know, making it up as I go, but I'm absolutely not, is stuff with the magic system and other mystical things and how those work. Because in Just Thorn of Denhill, there's pretty much just like the magic that Varenix uses. And then in other books, I'm like, oh, there's also telepaths and that's a different thing. And, and then later I have, you know, this stuff with sister Miriam, which is just completely wacky. That's also completely different from both of that. And there is like this whole larger integrated system that I'm working at, but I do wonder if people are like, is he just adding more weird powers that are just different things? And it, it, it's less it's less that I'm throwing everything in there and more that everything has always existed. But with the point of views you're getting, you didn't know that all those things existed. And that's the weird balance to point out. It's not so much, you know, is this a new shiny thing I'm shoving into the world? Or did my characters just never know about this thing? Because that's just never been part of their world. Yeah, I think that the internal consistency is what kind of like makes or breaks that, right? Like, does it slide in seamlessly and it makes total sense? within its context and you're like oh yes well that works or is it a dinosaur and i think that you don't write dinosaurs so it's it's good (laughs) but that's the question you have to like ask yourself is am i shoving a dinosaur where it doesn't belong halfway through book three of 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 the unraveled kingdom have your just go well we'll just launch the jets (laughs) then and people like wait what Well, we had jets all this time. Well, we have we have the battle stegosaurus, so <laughs> we're fine. I feel like that would have come up sooner. Why didn't you list that amongst our assets? I really want the line in like the moment that it breaks, and and I don't know, it's just why didn't you list that among our assets? So I was thinking a little bit about the worlds that we've kind of been building building live on air and one thing i was kind of thinking about is that we do have a lot of bits and pieces and odds and ends that we absolutely would have to flesh out if we ever actually were to sit down and write a novel set in this world or something like that um and i was wondering if there are any that stood out to you as like yes this was definitely going to be something that i would have to i would have to fix before i could write onward or address before i could could really see myself writing a cohesive story here. I mean, there's honestly so much because there, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like which is the opposite, but like you know, <laughs> like one of the things we talked about last time, we we touched on what would be like a story seed of like I, I would have to figure out what 
first what the story primarily is going to be about and then use that as as the sort of seed to figure out what are the other things I would need to flesh out to figure that out. Like, is there anything in your little corner of the world that stands out as like, yes, I am going to have to answer this question. I know for me, one of the major ones is so I've picked an archipelago. I've established that they are, you know, shipping a lot of things that trade is important for them and Navy is important for them being a bunch of islands. And I'm like, shit, I am going to have to figure out boats. I'm going to have to figure out like what kind of ships they have. What does that tech like? We, we have a rough technology, you know, technology level, but what what exact, you know, kind of technology are they using? How fast do they go? Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to figure out how fast they go and how long it takes them to get from one like island to another, because God knows unless I write something set solely on one island that they never like set foot off of it, I'm gonna have to know like, okay, how long does it take to sail around the island to go from one to the other? Are there, does it depend on the kind time of year? Are there trade winds? Like, how is this all coming together? So that was one that I was, I was thinking about, but I'm like, yes, that would, that would be a world building detail that would become plot relevant really, really quickly. And I would have to have some understanding of. And boat strikes me as the thing that's just below guns and horses, that if you get it wrong... Someone will notice. Someone mm-hmm. will know. And, like, the, I mean, there's ways you can avoid that in the writing. In Like, you can have your POV character be the boat idiot who's just on the boat and being like, I don't know what's happening. I just know we're going places. <laughs> we! <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, but there's still just a base knowledge of, like, ah, crap. Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? What's the... Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? Is is scurvy involved? Scurvy is always involved. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I just wanted sexy bisexual pirates. I didn't want to have to do math. (laughs) I feel like in in Fjallanir, there's a a few different things. I, I would need to pin down the seasons and how much of the year their river is at least partly frozen and like how much of it freezes and how far up is it impassable things like that i would need to nail down more about the government i have sort of an idea about that but i haven't really fleshed it out it is super weird to me that i have absolutely no concept of their religion because that's usually one of the first things i i key in on is what they think of gods and i have I, it's a whole, it's a total blank right now. I have absolutely no idea. So I would need to work on that to figure out everything else that that defines, you know, like as a society, organizationally, morally, ethically, where do those ideas come from for them? And how do they conceive of their place in the larger world? Yeah, that's a good one. We haven't really poked the religion monster no. very much. That's probably like on an on an overall world level, a question I would definitely have is how distinct is the religious belief of each of these areas is it really distinct are there are there religions that are overlapping you know that you have like multiple parts of the world all ascribing to like that would be a that that's a that's a thing (laughs) especially with like sort of like the level of cultural exchange that the gates allow you would presume that there might then be this sort of bleeding of religions to the point where what was 
like each city having their own like you know god of the city then sort of bleeds into a larger pantheon that is known throughout the world even if that's not necessarily what's you know worshipped in every spot of the world but at least the understanding of that I, I i love the idea and it's not a thing you see too much in fantasy of it being the development of the pantheon of gods of that faith based on it coming from several places and sort which of is pushing together like historically something that happened a which is, whole lot yeah which is historically something that happens yeah <laughs> it's it's making me think so a, a particularly roman tradition was to invite the new god into their city and you did this by like building them a nice temple and and you would actually like go to the other city and make the invitation and they famously did this when taking over one of their neighbors and they invited juno to abandon the city she'd been in and join rome and it's making me think about in our world do you have to invite the god through the magical nude gate <laughs> and like <laughs> is there a ritual around that and does some person have to embody the god like i am suddenly fascinated by this concept <laughs> Is that what is I mean, that what causes I, like the we were talking about the hubs, you know, we were talking about the the chain of which cities are connected to each other is is did the gods do that? Did something about yes. the religious ritual link them to each other? I, mean, I am fascinated now. And I'm realizing now too that we have not even decided in this world are the gods or any kind of of supernatural over or under or through something that we have decided if it is a active part of the world that we are all acknowledging as real or if it is something that is interpreted and perceived by people but never confirmed is it just folk tales and stories that are that are believed as faith is it is it actual gods is it are there some semi-immortal people who have just sort of decided to pretend to be gods or treated as gods we don't know because we we don't know. know but you know but things that you very quickly write into yourself into a corner on when you make that decision, that decision is as it was in the beginning, as now and ever shall be. Book series without end, amen. I mean, <laughs> and I thought as a fun game to round out the end of our episode, since we're coming up on our hour, what is something that if you grabbed it as an ooh shiny and threw it into your corner would just completely break? what you've done so far besides dinosaurs besides well besides. i feel like i feel like i might be i could but i could have they? dinosaurs i think i think you know, i could I have like, like an, a couple islands that have like prehistoric nonsense that's still living there it's it's i'm not it's saying i'm going for the dinosaurs to, but... where i am but i i could have some megafauna i could have you some could. can you some have ice, i could have some woolly rhinos well and, and marshall didn't didn't you have a giant sloth at one point i think I think there that was one of the things way back when did. was a giant, a giant sloth. That's that's. I think you could you can still have that. But it's, you can put a giant sloth anywhere. I mean, that's probably not true, but <laughs> just scientifically speaking. But <laughs> in terms of ecosystem, maybe not. But like, but I think, but certainly megafauna in general can exist, and why not? And. I was oh my god, cast how... giant beavers. I'm sorry, I just remembered that giant beavers <laughs> existed. And I thought of the, the fjords and the rivers. And, yeah, that's true. Yes. About gi- I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I'm just happy you just yelled giant beavers. That <laughs> brings me joy. <laughs> <I can't>. <laughs> <laughs>
But one thing that I had been thinking about is with, you know, the cities in this place being connected by gates and there being like the whole like network of gates that the areas in between where you have to do like actual shipping or, you know, other forms of like land cross country cargo to like get stuff from place to place are going to be like more vulnerable more you know even more sparsely populated maybe beyond what's necessary and like those roads and shipping lanes are going to be rife with bandits and and pirates and all that so i think like the potential world you know, set up a breaking concept within griasta would be that the cities are these like great party everything's awesome sort of places and you step outside that walls and it's just you're gonna die it's just a mad max (laughs) territory it's just just mad it's just pure chaos on the other side of that wall (laughs) and because because there's there it's far too like sort of libertarian like you know anything goes so once we get out of the city that goes bad you are on your own (laughs) yeah i think that's that's a good point yeah i feel like sometimes we want to have like i don't know trying to make things too happy can break a world pretty quickly like there's the the balance the balance of you know Certainly, there's going to be assholes in the world. We just wanted to make it that the assholeness was not institutional yes. Yes. so much. But <laughs> whereas, you know, lots of pirates and bandits and other chaos just, you know, in the, the, in the open countryside. Like, that's, that's a different sort of thing than one culture being stompy over the other. And, and no one's organized enough to, like, get their gangs of bandits together to actually attack a city because that just takes work man no not when there's not when there's easy if you're that organized if you're that organized you're gonna build your own city anyway so might be how fjallanir got started (laughs) bunch of bandits who are like wait we've been making schedules for our banditry i feel like we could we could have a more efficient lifestyle this This is yeah the founding of fjallanir a few few thousand years ago it, it just started as, as banditry and then, you know, and then they got a rank structure of, like, who's in charge of what, and then everyone had their own territory, and then all of a sudden, fuck, we made a, we made a fucking civilization, didn't we? <laughs> it's a perfectly good society. We fucked it up. We gave it bureaucracy. <laughs> like, this is apparently the accent we've decided they have. Apparently it is. <laughs> <laughs> fucked it up. I do kind of like that, though, that, like, the the most ordered of our, our societies, at least among the three of us, has its origins in the chaos. I, I like that. That's, that is historically pleasing yes, to me. We, that has a sense of rightness to it. We failed at chaos and had to make spreadsheets. We, we went so far into chaos, we came out the other side. Yes, looped back around. We looped back around, and now we have just all this paperwork to do. <laughs> How do we take something fun like raiding and piracy and make it into work? <laughs> but like now it's so long ago, they've, they've sort of forgotten that those are their roots. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Weird. You know, I feel like actually speaking of piracy, that is a really fun, ooh, shiny idea that if I threw it too hard at my corner, it could break everything. 
Because you could have like every island could be its own little like pirate fiefdom, yeah. and I, it could it yeah. could go south pretty quickly. Um, with what I've built so far as being like they have like planting culture, and like the cities are very cultured places with people who have money, and and obviously there's going to be pirates who are trying to take advantage of things like attacking ships that leave ports but if they're doing absolutely nothing about it like that doesn't work like they 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 must have some kind of strong counter pirate program in place or else they they just wouldn't they, all the things i built up around it wouldn't last very long so as fun as pirates are i feel like i have to be somewhat like pirate minimal in my in my archipelago or is there pirate aesthetic without it this necessarily being? There maybe the, we could have privateers, <laughs> licensed pirates. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. You want like the fun of pirates without it like going bad and like oh they would they would destroy the city. Yeah, it's like they and they'd ruin everything. All the pillaging and the oh. So it's pirates, but they each have really strong, just national pride and want to, like, you know, protect. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's like... that's what I've got instead. I've got I have the pirates like they can't really get away with the piracy on their home turf. So they hire out as privateers as like international mercenaries. So you have the fun of the fun of piracy without it, it... without trashing. It's like sports teams. Yeah. They'll like they'll they'll trash each other, but it's mostly just for the honor of doing that and like saying <laughs> we won that fight rather than rather than actual blood. Uh-huh, we boarded your vessel. <laughs> Giant nautical games it's of just... capture the flag. Just <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. I'm just picturing there's this one guy like on a rope just like over and snatches the flag and then comes back to his boat. It's like there's been this long-standing thing. It's like we agreed to not have any wars between each other in the Confederacy, so we do this yeah. instead. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. it. As a proxy. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, if you get the flag, then, like, okay, fine. You get our cargo because you got the flag. <laughs> well. Absurdist. We... It's absurdist, but I, but, but I love it. We started off with... It might have broken the world. We started with a craft conversation, and we ended with... Giant beavers and a pirate <laughs> capture the flag game. I think this is appropriate. That sounds about right. That's... I'm, I'm pleased. Mm-hmm. I feel good about this. Mm-hmm. We've made good choices here Excellent. today. And you too, listeners. Go forth and make choices about beavers and pirates. And dinosaurs. Don't forget the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Don't forget dinosaurs. It's the holy trinity, really, of, <laughs> of world-building decisions. <laughs> Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode will go up on October 13th, where we'll be joined by Martha Wells to talk about adding non-human intelligent characters into your worlds. I'd also like to remind you that we are a finalist for the Hugo Award for Best Fan Cast. If you are eligible to vote for the Hugos, we would love your consideration. And if you want to learn how you can be eligible, visit Discon3.org. 
We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there are a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts. <laughs>